With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How do you get Serena and Venus Williams to allow you to make a movie about their dad? We've got producers Tim and Trevor White here on Crew Call. We're talking about King Richard. My first question is, tell me about getting the rights. Tell me about getting Serena and Venus on board. Yeah, I mean, um, so really, I guess, you know, I think um, it was an idea that Trevor and I had been playing with basically for a while. We, we really loved the character of Richard Williams. And just, um, I think we were both very inspired by this family's, you know, dream and sort of their pursuit to get to it. And I think around maybe 2014 or 2015, I actually wrote an email to Venus. I got her email or assistance email or something like that. And I sent her an email and obviously never heard back. It was just kind of a shot in the dark like hey like you know we have this idea we'd love to do this movie with you guys um but but never heard back so i think trevor and i sort of sat down and we talked about it at at that point and just said you know like we basically decided that the that our only chance at really getting this going was going to be to develop a script on our own that was just absolutely amazing and and frankly sort of undeniable and and that would just take on a life of its own so from about 2014 or so to 2017 we met with numerous writers and we heard pretty much every take you could ever imagine um and you know like we know from that come from those conversations that there's really so many different ways you can tell the Richard Williams story, so many different timelines, just, I mean, there's really endless permutations. And, and it was basically in 2017 that we sat down with Zach Balin. We pitched him the idea and it was sort of a kind of a character Zach knew and he knew something about the story, but, it, but you know, it, it grabbed him right away. He basically said to us, give me a couple of days to kind of do some research and play around with this. Um, he sent us a couple of days later, sure enough, he sent us an email that was, was really just amazing. And it was exactly what this, this movie is today. He really figured out the, the timeline, he figured out the heart of it. He seemed to really have a great handle on Richard and the girls and their journey and exactly 
what it meant. So we hired Zach. Um, and then about nine months later, Zach, uh, we had a script from Zach that we had sort of worked on a little bit with him, but but it was absolutely excellent. I mean, he he really delivered on everything. And you know, the goal of sort of coming up with kind of an, a script that was absolutely undeniable is a pretty big goal. But Zach, you know, that's exactly what he did. And from that point, the script really took on a life of its own. Will Smith was interested and we then sent it to Dave Warshafter and Jill Smaller, who were Serena's representatives at, at WME. They loved it also. And so at that point, basically, it was now being sent to the family. And then I think around August 2018, we sat down for the first time with Isha Price, who is uh, Venus and Serena's sister. She's an executive producer on the film and is, is sort of their manager is very involved in kind of all aspects of like the business basically. And, um, you know, we really just started the conversation with Isha then and it took about nine months or so of kind of us talking about the project, the script, the plan, the way we wanted to make it, the goals, so all those things um, to really get them, I think, to feel comfortable with the team, with Trevor and myself, um, and ultimately say, okay, let's do this. Did, you know, when, when they first saw the script, mm -hmm. was it evident at that point, like the spirit we see on screen yeah. is spirit, we yeah. feel it, it's yeah. there. It's like a yep. lightning bolt. Was that evident in the script at the time? Did they read it and say, oh my God, you got him? Yes. Or yeah. did they feel like, oh, well, this is just a collection of what's been out there in the press and everything? No, no, no. Right away, they were like, they could recognize that this was special and that Zach had done an amazing job. And I mean, they certainly had notes. And Isha had you know, specific things, their, their notes were sort of always, I think, coming from a place of authenticity. Like, you know, it would have been a little more like this or would have been a little more like this. And, you know, really things that Zach or us or anyone could have never known without, without talking to them. But I think the reason the script got their attention, it sort of, it sort of got him front of them was because it did capture the man and it did have the heart and and it had everything that the movie, you know, I think we hope has today. Did they have any big notes? Like for example, when he shows them all Cinderella as mm -hmm. a lesson or how he had this plan? Yeah, well, the Cinderella scenes specifically, was actually a scene that they told us that happened basically. So that was a scene that um, that Isha actually described to us in the first meeting, and we thought, "Wow, that's that's really interesting and great." 
Um, the, beyond that, you know, I think a lot of the notes were just about this sort of authentic details, basically, and just really getting it right. And I think the family was always, you know, the family and Isha were always coming at it, I think, from a place of if we're going to do this, um, let's have it be real, let's have it be authentic, and let's have it really capture us. Um, and they didn't shy away from sort of any detail if it was real. Um, and I think they gave the movie, they sort of helped the movie have the, the kind of authenticity that that it has now. We, we were really fortunate that, um, you know, there is a deep, deep well of video out there in the world, not only on Venus and Serena, but really of Richard. I mean, the man gave so many interviews um, when they were young and there's just so much write-ups, articles, books, YouTube videos. So, you know, we were able to glean a lot from that. I think the piece that was more challenging was actually getting Orsine right. And that was another thing that I think the family, when they got in, um, we really began to hone her role and, and her voice in particular. And that was really exciting. But Zach did a, um, a fantastic job, I think, at sort of, you know, listening to Isha and Venus and Serena and Orsi in order to really help to kind of find that character. Was, when you met with Isha, was Will already attached? Will was interested, um, provided that we got the family's blessing. So Will had read the script and said, and said basically, yes, I would love to do this, but only if the family is gonna bless the project. And then where did you find Zach? He, cause he, he has an extensive resume working in um, art direction. Yeah. Uh, so, some great credits. Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, so uh, Trevor, my colleague actually at Sartre, or Alan Mandelbaum actually, suggested when, when I was in New York that I meet with Zach actually about um, this other project that we were working on. He had read Zach and thought he was a great writer. And we sat down and we talked about this other project for a lot of the meeting. And at the end, just kind of on the way out, tennis came up and Zach sort of revealed that he was, uh, that he was an avid tennis follower and um and uh and I sort of said oh wow like sit back down and let me tell you this one other thing that we've been working on and um it was sort of crazy how that happened but um, it's it's pretty wild I mean the, the the I mean there would be no King Richard at least with Zach Balin probably had it not been for this exchange at the very end of their meeting which was you know, Zach mentioned he was going to the U.S. Open and was an avid tennis player and, and watcher. And I think it's just one of those things where luck and opportunity meet and, and you know, the rest is history. It's really fun to think about. Yeah, absolutely. So you meet with the Williams. Mm -hmm. Will Smith is interested. How do you, was there an auction or did you walk, walk the whole package into Warner Brothers with Will behind you and pitch Courtney and pitch Toby? I mean, 
there was an auction. I mean, there was a whole process. I mean, we took it out, I think, at the beginning of March 2019. Um, it went to every buyer. We had a lot of interest sort of a, across the board. And really, just a lot of great companies, a lot of great executives were interested. Um, it was really very flattering, I think, sort of us and the project. And ultimately, we decided to go with Warner Brothers. What and, was it about them that, that won you over? You know, I think, um, I'm not going to lie, at the, at the time, it was definitely, there was an element of just the big theatrical release. Um, but there was also just the, you know, the dialogue and sort of the conversation of the movie really as a sort of major cultural event. And they had just done Crazy Rich Asians and Star is Born. And I think those were really two movies that we looked to as, you know, really kind of major cultural events. And I think that's what um, we wanted for King Richard. And, you know, we liked the pitch overall. And there was also, um, they really understood the movie we wanted to make. You know, they're, they're, this is an interesting um, script in that, and, and we certainly met with a handful of directors. And so we heard firsthand what multiple versions of this movie could look like. As Tim kind of pointed out, there were multiple versions of what a script could look like, but there were also multiple versions of what this script could look like. And I think Warner's really understood and talked about the movie the exact way that we had envisioned it and the way that we had built it with Zach. And, um, and not to mention, you know, even down to the way they envisioned marketing the film and, and kudos to them and to, to that entire team because, you know, we couldn't be happier with the market materials that are out there. We think it's really reflective of the film that, that you know, we made. And so- um, It was very you know, classy. I'm looking at the one sheet right now of, of him pushing the girls in the, in the basket of the tennis balls. And it's just- yeah. It's and that's scary. such a, by the way, that's such an iconic image too of the real Richard with the girls in the basket that when you think about, I mean, that image is almost the image that sparked this idea to begin with. So it really felt representative of the bigger picture of the, yes, there's tennis, but it's a father story, right? It's, it's that support system, which you feel in that image itself. So anyway, they, they really understood it on so many levels, which um, ultimately is, I think, what really convinced us that WB was the right home for this. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, when, when, you had, when Warner Brothers had bought it, was Ronaldo Marcus Green attached as director? He was uh, no, now. So, and and um, how did you find? How did he? How did how did you find him? I know he worked on the the Mark Wahlberg movie. That uh, yes, he had. was on our radar for Monsters and Men. 
Um, and he was just a filmmaker that we were basically tracking for a while for this. The first time we talked about it, he wasn't available because of the Mark Wahlberg film. And then our dates pushed a little bit and then he became available. Um, and so Trevor and I loved him. We had a meet with the studio. Um, they loved him too. And then he met with Will and uh, Will agreed ultimately as well, so. But beyond that too, I mean, uh, Ray, you know, speaking about Warner's really understanding the, the film, Ray almost didn't even want to talk in that initial meeting about the way he'd shoot it or any of the things that typically come out in a first director meeting. He was so focused in on these characters and this family. And he talked about the family in a way that no one else had talked about it. And almost it, it was a way that we hadn't really even thought about the movie. And I think there was something so, um, so interesting and beautiful in the way he spoke about it and could relate to it himself coming from, you know, uh, New York City and being raised by a father who pushed them and, you know, who had them kind of try to excel in a sport. And, you know, he grew up a baseball player. And I think he just had this parallel to the story in a really interesting way. Um, not to mention, I had, I had found this YouTube video long before the script even existed. Ray was out there promoting Monsters and Men. And in an interview, he had brought up uh, he was talking about his own story and he was like, my father was not unlike, you know, Richard Williams and the way he kind of built Venus and Serena. And I was like, well, this is fate. You know, the, the fact that here's Ray talking about this long before he knew a script existed. So you've got this Rocky story. You really do. And at the end of this, we want to see Serena's tale. Was it, is that part of the conversation if, if this reaches a certain type of success between HBO Max and theatrical, is there a possibility we could see a sequel? Like, was that, was it intentional to give us kind of a, well, there's more to this story. We know there's more. I mean, I would, I, you know, we certainly didn't build it as like a franchise in mind. You know, I think like um, we thought for the most interesting aspect of the story was, you know, this starting starting in Compton in 91 and ending ending in Oakland in 94, because that was really the journey that we just thought was, you know, was a movie really. And and really Zach, you know, cracked this the movie. But um, I mean, look, I think like uh, nothing's off the table, I guess, you know. Yeah. It's not something we've talked about yet. Yeah, that's how I, exactly. Nothing's off the table, but w we certainly didn't intend for for that conversation to be like that. You know, I can't be the first one that suggested this. You haven't. You haven't been. No, not the first. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of great material, um, and uh, you know, it's an amazing. It's an amazing family and they're amazing tennis players and athletes and you know there's as we know from sort of meeting with writers and looking at every option for stories sort of out of this there's a lot to work with but but you know what's so interesting um is when we think about venus and serena and serena of course being 
the GOAT, right? The greatest to ever play the game, male or female. Um, you know, it, it is tricky to kind of wrap your head around, well, why isn't she more of the focus in, in those early years? And I think that's kind of what's so great about a story that can kind of take what is known and and show a side of it that audiences won't know. It's, it's kind of how exactly. we create, exactly. And so I think very few people actually know that it was Venus who led the way in those early years. And Venus was the better player when they were that age. And, and um, you know, Richard was the only one who really at that time believed that Serena would one day eclipse Venus, you know? And that's pretty remarkable. Um, so we just think it's an, it's a, it's a more interesting way to tell the story. Has he seen the movie? We're actually not sure, honestly. And, but was he involved? Was it mostly the, the daughters that were involved early on? Yeah, it was the daughters. Like, was he, did he have any kind of say in it? We didn't have any sort of direct contact um, with him at all on this. You know, we were working with Isha and Venus and. Serena and everything that sort of came to us, you know, they were basically representing the family as as sort of a whole on this. I am still I still amazed what he did with um, with Paul Cohen. How right then and there, there are agents ready to sign the girls, and he doesn't want to advance them because he doesn't want to overextend them. I mean mm -hmm. that is. That is gutsy. I what 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 was your take on that? And do the daughters look back? I mean, do the daughters look back and say we should have played our cards then, or no? Everything worked out the way it was supposed to for them. I think now everything worked out. Yeah, clearly. I mean, at the time, I think you're right. It it, it really was pretty. Um, pretty amazing because you also have to factor in that these agents, you know, were offering to finance the training, you know, and you know, this was not a wealthy family who could say, we're going to go it on our own. We don't need the money. You know, at this point in time, when the girls were 10 years old, you know, the money for the training and for the tournaments, for travel, for the exposure could have been absolute make or break. And to be confident sort of enough to say like, we don't need this and it's gonna make it, it's gonna put our kids, we think, we think at even greater risk if we take this was really an amazing decision. It's one of the reasons Trevor and I wanted to tell this story was because of moments like that. Well, it's, it's even, you know, cause I, I didn't grow up playing tennis the way Tim did. I, I played casually, but Tim was a real, you know, went through juniors and, and played at a very high level. And, you know, I remember when we were first talking about this story and what was special about it, this was a piece of it. And Tim would have to describe to me, you know, essentially that you don't understand how juniors worked. What, what Richard did was so against the grain of what you're supposed to do. It was so outlandish. And because of that, you know, the press at that time, the media at that time labeled him as 
as either crazy or a disruptor of some sort or, or that he was potentially hurting the careers that these girls would have. And Richard just had a different vision. He, he, it was a protective vision. And I mean, in the movie, you learn kind of why and where that stems from, but, um, but it is so fascinating. But I think, you know, I think, um, I think he says at the time, you know, or he says in the interview scene, but this was what it was all about was he wanted his girls to be kids and to put, be able to put play sort of long careers. And he looked at it and said, this is not the way to get there. And he said that to everyone at the, to everyone at the time. And now here we are looking at it. And, and, you know, I mean, Venus is in her, I think, early 41, 40. Serena's 40. They're both still on tour. They're still at the top of the game. They can beat anybody on any given day. Um, Serena's still in the running to win Grand Slams. It's, um, I mean, you've never seen anything like this. Players playing into this age range. And it's exactly, you know, it sort of worked out exactly as he said. And the fact that Richard was saying that publicly when they're 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, where no other pros were playing into their mid-30s or beyond is really, it's really impressive. So. The, the, this film uh, was, I, I remember, uh, it was interrupted by the pandemic and then you resume shooting. Tell me about that. How much was in the can? And then coming back, was that like? Yeah. Um, like a whole, I mean, I, for everyone, I know it was a, a whole new way of working with the units and everything. And it was so, it was surreal. And, and, you know, I, every film or show that, that went through what we went through probably had a very similar experience, but, you know, um, the, we shot three weeks, we shot 17 days before getting shut down um, on, I believe like a 46 day shoot. And um, every week, you know, the first week, it wasn't even in our line of sight. By week two, it was, a, oh, this is something we should monitor. By week three, it was how, how is this, how are we gonna shut this all down in a way that we can pick this back up and at that time, we thought it might be two weeks or three weeks, or we'd be back in four weeks. You know, when we actually shut down, never did we think, I remember someone saying, well, it might not be till July till we're back up. And I was like, that's impossible. It can't be till July. We didn't get back up till October. So there was this six or seven month gap between when we shut down and when we got back up. And, and in those months down, it was the Wild West. It was tracking what the unions were negotiating with the studios in terms of, you know, a return to work kind of set of, of rules. It was, how do we do this safely? How do we move certain interior locations to exterior locations? How do we handle extras? I mean, it, it the whole game changed. Um, and it, it's so fascinating now thinking about it because making a movie is already hard on its own. You already have so many things to think about. Now it was, 90% of what we were thinking about was how to adjust for the pandemic, you know, how to do this safely during COVID and not make it feel like it's a COVID movie. You know, you certainly, we really were careful not to make this feel like you could 
you could feel like, oh, they must have changed that and it's not as good. Um, but conversely, in a lot of ways, the, the time off really helped us. You know, we had time for the, by a miracle, the three weeks we'd shot were almost entirely all the early storyline. The girls when they're in Compton, you know, younger, and then it jumps three years later uh, for, the, for the second piece. So we still had stuff in the younger storyline to shoot, but very little. And the majority of what we had left was them aging. So we could kind of lean into the fact that our, our lead actresses got older in this time. Um, and it gave us time to really kind of continue to hone with Ray and Robert Ellswood, our cinematographer, how we wanted to approach the tennis, you know, leading into that final match. You know, we really were learning what worked really well in shooting tennis and what didn't. And we were adjusting as we went. And I think that time actually helped us. One of my, the, another question I wanted to ask you as producers, you've done some great um, critically acclaimed stuff such as The Post and Wind River. And they are films, they are sophisticated upscale dramas uh, for the big screen. In this day and age where everyone is obsessed with streaming and we see a number of these films usually get relegated to streaming, again, understood. Producers have to be ag agnostic about how their films are seen, but how, is there a particular hook if you want it on the, on the big screen or does it just matter who's funding it at the end of the day? Does, does, like, does it need an, a little extra, I don't know, something to in order to get it so that it's so that it is a theatrical release and not something that is um you know strictly for streaming uh yeah you know i mean here's my feeling and then um trevor you should answer as well is um is you, know, you obviously have the big sort of tentpole kind of franchise movies which which i think still work really well for theatrical. I think for sort of our movie, um, which is, you know, fully theatrical also, just on the same day HBO Max, but but I think, um, but you know, I think it really sort of comes back to our initial conversations with Warner Brothers, where they talked about the movie as a cultural event. And I think mm -hmm. for us, um, that's, what a movie needs to really be truly theatrical, like a cultural event. If you look at sort of as sort of other Warner Brothers, you know, kind of, you know, the Star is Born or Crazy Rich Asians or The Conjuring, these are all movies that like are whoever the genre, they're real events. And um, and I think to us, that's what, that's kind of the, the deciding factor. Yeah, this, I mean, this is, you've probably talked to many filmmakers about this and, and everyone's probably got a slightly different perspective. Um, you know, my favorite thing in the world is sitting in a dark movie theater and watching a movie where the sound surrounds you and you feel audiences responding. And, and I think um, the times are certainly shifting. And I think Tim and I on this felt like this was a special project with special filmmakers and Will Smith and you know we we had an opportunity for this traditional studio big theatrical release and 
and that was enticing um, and continues to be enticing. Um, and obviously the pandemic has changed things and, and HBO Max is part of that conversation now, but it still will have that, that traditional theatrical. Um, but there are movies, there are scripts, there are ideas out there that we're certainly developing that we think is really ripe for the streaming world. And, and so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Power of the Dog, a film like that, that's really an, a masterclass in filmmaking is re taken to for a Netflix audience, you know, cause that's a movie that probably really feels different in a, in a theater than it does in a tiny little iPad screen. Um, and so that's kind of an interesting thing to, to consider and look at, but um, it's, we want to adapt. We want to, there is the argument as well that, well, whoever's going to support your movie in the biggest, most prominent way to give you the opportunity to make the best film possible, that's the way you should go. And there, there's validity to that as well. So, you know, I think every project's different and you just have to approach it depending on, on the package and the script and, and what you have. Trevor and Tim White, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. <laughs>